Welcome to Music Crush, a new music podcast hosted by Flute New Music Consortium. I'm Elizabeth Robinson. And I'm Nicole Reiner. I feel like we're talking um, in a way, I mean, Elizabeth, you were saying earlier that you might be interested in discussing this, but I feel like we're sort of moving towards finding creative solutions to problems or like making making things happen and devising projects. Was that... Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that is something I'm always interested in, especially I think with this crew, I think uh, things I admire about both of you are that perhaps situations have not always been ideal or the professional musical career path has not always been um, the linear one that Mm. one fantasizes about as a teenage up and coming musician. Um, And so I'm, I'm always on the hunt for ways to make things happen that aren't necessarily the way things are done. And I feel like both of you do those things well. What's your best make it work strategy for getting a project off the ground? Um, I come from a reactionary place. Uh, I think (laughs) I, and that's the way I write as well. Like I'll write something and then react to it, whether it's good or bad. And I think that's also how I function is I'm not... I mean, I like to have a plan and end result and a goal, but I'm not afraid to uh, find a different route. I mean, because 18-year-old Nicole said she was going to be a Disney animator and write her own soundtracks. That's what that is. That is, that course is veered for many reasons. And it's not like I'm not, that was just the only route I could see. Sure. Um, and so, you know, I think I think being open to other things, like you don't have to be hard headed and stick with this route. You fought at 18, you wanted to do this, but then you're you change, right? And I think that, that happens with projects organically. You think you want this one thing. And then as you start working <laughs> in it, you find out, oh, actually this other idea might be better. And I think being open and reactionary to what you're working on is helpful and not just driving to that endpoint, regardless of consequences. Growth mindset. Yeah, I guess so. Whatever that's called. I feel a little surprised that you're lumping me into this, Elizabeth. So that's fair. Nice <laughs> I'm trying to think of why you why you think this of me. But uh, I guess I mean, let's let's yeah. time out. You have a, a pretty impressive <laughs> discography for, you know, someone who's been in academia for as long as you have, but <clears> who's <throat> had maybe not always the like tenure track R1 research Mm. supported like you've I I think you've built a career that looks a lot like an R1 flute professor without necessarily the infrastructure and support of that and I think that's cool like these were the things you wanted about your career and life said these are the parts of that you get and you were like whatever I'm still gonna have 18 million recordings and some pretty (laughs) successful chamber ensembles so (laughs) you reality well, thank um, and that's, you. that's where I'm coming from. Good numbers, but no, you know, no. um, those things, I mean, at some point, my, my very first album, I thought, oh, this was back when I was still thinking of applying for, you know, tenure track jobs, which at some point I just abandoned. Um, but I thought, oh, everybody has an album. And so I need to do one too. And then, and so I guess that one was a little bit more planned. I mean, that was, that was the most planned really. Um, And that, and then I'm, I'm a very, very cheap person. And so, you know, I started asking around one thing that I, I have always appreciated about 
our community if you ask the right people, you know, and you 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 pick up on the people who aren't going to help you and, and all the other people who are incredibly generous. But there are so many people in classical music who are so generous with their time and their ideas. And if you just say like, you did this thing, how, how did you do it? You know, I got a lot of advice from people early on just by just randomly emailing or calling people I barely knew and saying like, I really admire this. How, what did you do? <laughs> and so in that way, I started learning about different ways to fund a recording project. I mean, that was how I found out, oh, if you're not Yo-Yo Ma or Paula Robeson mm -hmm. or something, you are going to pay for your own recording. Mm -hmm. Yes you know, wholesale. And That's then, an eye-opening day, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, it was like, wow, that sucks. But then it was also wonderfully democratizing because I was yeah. like, wow, so all these people that I've been putting up on a pedestal, that's what they did too, you know? Yeah. So then when I, when I found that out, because no, no professor of mine ever told me, even though they all had recordings, um, they never, they never told me how it happened. And then I was like, oh, well that sucks because that sounds expensive. And then I was like, fuck it. I got to go find some money, you know? And so, <laughs> and then I think the rest of it was luck. You know, that's such a frustrating, frustrating answer to a, a question, but I was not living in Wyoming because I never have, but I was, I was teaching in Wyoming and the Wyoming arts council is surprisingly well-funded and it is it, it exists in the least populated state in the country sure, sure so you know it's a it's a big old pie and very few slices get cut out of that pie in any given year and so that was i just started poking around on their website and calling people and finding out how i could how i could get funding mm -hmm. um so that first recording was definitely an active like okay i see that other people have this in their bios and this is probably a step that i need to take sure and then I think every other recording I've been on um, has not been my project that I've overseen. It's just been people inviting me. People, mm -hmm. you know, a, a situation occurs and sometimes some, I, I can remember one in particular where I thought, oh, I don't, I don't think I have the brain power to do this right now or the, whatever the bandwidth, I don't think I have the bandwidth to, to learn this difficult music right now. But then I thought, but then I get to be on another recording and I get a chance to work with the composer and learn this cool music. So it's not the ideal time, but I guess I should do it because someone isn't going to ask me later. And so I think I think the other the other projects that might it's funny that you brought up recordings because I, I didn't even I don't even think about them, um, but they were all fun projects at the time. I think it was just a matter of saying yes when an opportunity arose, even though in my super type a brain my first reaction was i don't know if i have the energy to do this perfectly but then i thought well this is what i'm getting asked so do i want to <laughs> would i want to do this ever because now is the time now is the time when i'm being invited to do this and i think i've done that a lot and i think i've also i feel like i've had a much less strict trajectory in my head of how things should happen like yeah. i just kept majoring in music didn't start out as a music major, but I found that I was spending all my time in the practice room. Like that was my, my reward for doing my Russian homework. So what, what was your major? I don't think Russian. I knew it was Russian. Russian. Just um, Russian. I took two years of it in high school and I wow. thought it was fun. I realized now what I liked about it was maybe being able to communicate with people. I never really got that good at it, but also the cultural you know, yeah. education that comes along with learning a language is really cool. But then I was a Russian major in college and I was just sitting there like memorizing 
these stupid flashcards of words, just like so tedious, just like my whole, my whole existence, my first semester of freshman year felt like more flashcards of vocabulary words to memorize. And then, oh God, is it time yet? Can I, can I go take a break and go practice? Cause I was taking flute lessons on the side just for fun. Uh, And my flute teacher was like, you know, you should just try taking a theory class and just see if you'd like it. And then I did. And I came into a lesson and I was like, I love theory. And she was like, that's not what people say. Maybe (laughs) it's not. But I kept being, <laughs> I kept being bad at something on flute. I would yeah. I would conquer something, and then there'd be a new thing that I sucked at. But it was something that sounded really cool in recordings, and I wanted to figure it out. And I think that's how I ended up deciding to do flute. But then I just kept like, so I did my master's, and I didn't have a job, and I was like, well, shit, maybe I should do a doctorate because I don't want to get a day job. Like I was just trying to avoid being an adult and getting a job is honestly what it was. But then I went and did my doctorate and a lot of the people around me, which is reasonable because the doctorate's not super fun. Um, a lot, most of the people around me were either just like in a holding pattern, taking orchestra auditions, hoping they would get something before they had to finish the degree mm. at, at Indiana. There was plenty of that, but the other people who were actually serious about it we're like oh, i'm going to be a professor and i'm going to do this and this and that and that's what a doctorate's for so that's yeah. that's smart i was just like i don't know i just want to learn more about flute and just like try to make a living being a flute player yeah but i think i, I was i was much more just like if if i can get paid to to be a flutist in some way and i liked teaching and i liked playing you know um i was open to all of it and maybe that's maybe that's all it has been for me is just mm-hmm oh, this opportunity came up or I found out about something. It's like sometimes the the biggest projects I have had in mind, you know, that were that were a big deal to me or sort of a pivot have all had to do with surviving oh. academia, to be perfectly honest. A lot of it is about recruiting. There have been a lot of times when I've really switched up things that I've done and created new projects at my school just because I was desperate to recruit. And and I'm in a point like that right now too. And I'm trying some new things. Um, And so when you, when you originally said that Elizabeth, I I thought, does she know how much I do at UW? Because that was the only thing that I could think of was like, yeah, when I, when I really need a project to happen, it's out of desperate need. And so I I like can't sleep for days and I'm like, my whole studio is going to graduate or I can't hang on to freshmen. What the hell do I do now? And then out of that desperation and panic comes some creative ideas that last for a while, but never forever. But the playing stuff, I think, has just been like, cool, I'm up for it. I'll try it. I didn't know that was a thing, but yeah, I'll give it a try. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's it's just that like, okay, I, I know that I don't know everything. So what else can I learn? I mean, I think that's the root of it. But we've got a we've got a composer here and I'm always looking for ways to work with composers and get Mm -hmm. new pieces from them sometimes that composer is you but like how do you pay them where does the money come from what have you ever had a project that you just like really wanted to do and you and the commissioner have had to figure out like how you were gonna fund it so all the time to feed gertie all the time i mean i i know i i mean I know the biggest complaint people have with me and my rates are a little too low but usually they're low because i know i can sell it you know later so the the trade-off if it's something if it's something where I'm like I will never this will never get performed again because it's so unique to the situation that's one thing if it's something where I'm like oh other other people will 
we'll play this or if i just don't have time or just don't want to do it then then the price goes up i mean you know okay so that's like a rate adjustment but like yeah. there's a project you're really excited about uh, i'll take i'll take a dirt cut like if i'm really excited about it i will low ball there most of the time it's people just trying to fill out i mean i've had people like i think brett pimental is a good example of someone that approached me and said what are your rates for writing a piece like this and i, t I told him and he said okay i'm gonna write it grant and if i get it we'll do it or he's gonna do a, a grant application if i get it we'll do it um and he didn't get it and he said i'm sorry we'll have to push it and i'm like that's fine you know and i just waited eight years later he's like hey is your price still the same i'm sure i'm sure it's different i'm like no i told you that quote that's what we'll do and uh because he got some money from a grant or a different grant it's the same thing so i mean and there's other players that this is the same thing and sometimes it's just a waiting game until they can find the right funding for it but for for me that's been the only creative financial stuff that has happened sometimes it will be it's, it's really how excited I am about it. I mean, there, I just, I just, you know, I've written a lot of flute choir pieces. I don't think that's something I'm going to contribute a whole bunch of different ideas at this point anymore. But if you're asking me to write, I don't know, some crazy brass quintet thing or some like other stuff that I don't have a lot of my catalog. Like if my catalog is like at one thing for your instrument. I'm always looking to diversify <laughs> my portfolio. I mean, and so I'll work with people like, like, give me a great recording, especially if you're going to have an album, like a professional recording, that's very attractive. Um, you know, um, if it's, if you're going to help me promote it at, an instrument fair where like like the flute convention like if you're playing it for other flute flutists it's it's helpful especially if i can get it the publication to a vendor the exhibit hall you know the, those are those are all things that we can kind of kind of work with on and i think a lot of composers not all of them meant, mm -hmm. mind you a lot of them that's the sticking point that's the price that's what it is because they just don't want to deal with those shenanigans and i get like that's it's a lot um it's a lot to manage a lot of people hate that that side especially composers that don't have if they're just excited about your project a lot of a lot of them are, are willing to help you seek funding or find different avenues or put together sure. consortiums you know yeah um, but it's tricky like we have a we you and i go way back so yeah. i feel like there's a certain level of trust there where i can say like yes. i don't have this kind of money what are your thoughts that um, is i mean i think you've hit it on the head is trust is a huge issue especially for me like people want to work with me and do things I'm like i have never heard of you and i don't know who you are and i will um, if you don't think i am stalking you on social media and asking your friends if we know if i know your friends we have mutual friends and i'm asking them about you you're crazy even the people that i know have the money so yeah trust is huge but then, and like, so developing that with a new composer, because, you know, as much as I love you and I love your music, oh, yeah. it's, it's nice to have variety. You can't play but... my stuff all the time, as I've been told by many people. But, you know, you want to <laughs> you want to bring someone new into the fold. And it's like, you don't know me from Adam. And yeah. maybe we have, like, an acquaintance. I guess my stumbling block is always, like, I want to pay you what you're worth, but there yeah. are only so many dollars in right. my bank account. And my dogs also eat. Right. Uh, like, how do you how do we build these relationships how do we build these friendships how do we start these collaborations if at first it's just like i am aware of all of your pieces because mm -hmm. i've been stalking you on your website and social media for like six years working up the courage to have this conversation <laughs> but you just became aware that i exist like now 
Yeah, I mean, it's gonna you're gonna have to strap in for the long haul. I mean, developing that relationship. I mean, you know, it took like I think I I, I say eight years, but I I don't I don't know if Brett and I had eight years of finally getting Jeepers um to fruition, but but it felt that way, and I mean. <laughs> I mean, and initially uh, he went to UGA and he actually had um, my composition professor as a bassoon professor. And I did not know that, but that's how he got his foot in the door. Even though he was a stranger to me, he knew that we had stu- he had found out a, connect- a real deep connection that opened the door to trust. And then also I had a, a, the woman that works on my flute, uh, Judith Klein, she knew, she actually went to school with him. So I was able to be like, is he crazy? He's like, no, he's delightful and he's really good at all his instruments and it's really upsetting. Like you should work with him. Like, so, and that's a big endorsement. Um, But like you said, uh, it just takes time for a lot of composers, like just being like the things you're doing all the right things, like being very specific about their work and then just, just trying to develop that friendship for you and me. It was like, you sat with me at lunch at the flute fair. I mean, and then I bought like four of your pieces with no hope of right. performing them. I just bought your music. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was step one. I'm just gonna buy some flute quartets. Yeah, I mean you did it right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean you should just do that every time. And then, um, you know, composers they're all different. You know, as much as I like to say they're all the same, they they really aren't. Um, you know, you just you just you just gotta make friends. Did you and Brett stay in touch with each other through those eight years or however many it was before he was able to get funded? Like, did you? Yeah, I mean, sometimes he would just kind of update me on what was happening. And sometimes it was just casual things like Facebook stuff. I mean, he didn't, you know, and I'm, I'm going through this with someone else now. And I, I won't I won't bring that that person up because um, we're still trying to figure out funding. But that person is has has been the same it's it's like it's crazy how it's followed the same route yeah it's a real person that people find delightful and uh and funding is the issue and we're trying to make it work but it might it might be a little bit longer than we both planned but it's kind of nice because we're getting to know each other a bit more and maybe a better piece will come out of it Hmm. because i know that person and i can write to that person's strengths more I, i think there's benefits for it not immediately happening Sometimes when it's a stranger and they want you to write immediately and you're like, ah, you're scrambling to find out more about them so that you can write a piece that's custom and their personality. You don't want to write a piece that they just don't have any bond with. It's not great. Mm. Do you personalize for is that, do you think that's more common than not to no, personalize the piece? For- I don't know if it is. I think maybe most people, when they personalize, they think about playing ability. Sure. But I like to put a little bit of that person's personality into the piece. It gives me inspiration. <laughs> I wish I talked to fellow composers more. I don't think I talk about this enough with them. Um, you know, I it may be abnormal. I would like to assign you the homework of do some research and report back. I'm fascinated. <laughs> yeah, I might have to talk to Sharice, Valerie, and Amanda about it. I mean, those are my go-to composer friends. When All composers. I, like, that I like. So let's, yeah, let's I know. hear how the sausage gets made in those particular yeah. factories. I think it might be, I think knowing the, the, can I count the three of them that that might be unique to me, <laughs> but that's my process. 
and I find it fun to put in inside jokes just between me and the the performer, even if the performer isn't aware of it all the time. It would be yeah. fun to have such a personalized piece, and you know. But that's the point of commissioning. I thought you know sometimes I think it's a part of like there's a need, and that's why there's a commission. There's like right. a gap in somebody's portfolio, and you want them to write a piece for your instrument or sure. an ensemble you feels missing or that you just don't have the material for your ensemble to fill out a program and you want something specific for that theme but uh i mean you know it's like tailoring a suit making a suit for someone you want a bespoke piece i guess you know that really highlights your abilities i'm not going to write beatboxing for people that hate it and can't do it i'm not going to do that to that person um but if they're honest with me about their playing abilities and what they like I will do that to the extreme. I'm like a dog with a bone. I mean, <laughs> and that was the joke between Mary and Matt. So Mary Matthews and Matt Angelo, like we were good friends because I've written for them many times, but when we've written to each other, they know how I am. And I remember we we're having a conversation and Matt wanted a piece that had piccolo in it. He just gone, he liked his piccolo. He didn't play piccolo enough. We wanted to play piccolo more. And I was like, great. He said, you know, and I love playing up in the higher register. And Mary looked at him and said, be careful now. <laughs> because you know how she is he's like it's fine was it yeah fine? he had regrets no it was not fine it was not fine but he did it i mean he still did it because he can do it he was just um you know we liked we like to we like to be exhausted by each other um so and complain to each other about the other person so i mean you know he could do it and it was fine but he was not i don't think that's what he had in mind <laughs> I'm just going to do it over and over again, over again, because I know it's possible and he could do it. Um, so that's the difference. If, I, if he had said that, I probably would have been a little more. Well, no, we know from experience I'm not because I've, I've brought that. Elizabeth knows I've brought that up before. And someone's someone had said, oh, yeah, I'm comfortable up there and then find out they were not at all. So, I mean, uh, just the honesty part is what. What I think any composer needs um, when you're working with them. I, I definitely, I mean, like from the performer's perspective, I think it's, it's ego, you know, and it's yeah. I mean, yeah. the, very, the very first, the very first flute piece I commissioned, number one, I didn't want to give too many parameters mm. and feel mm. like I was straight jacketing them or being bossy. Mm. And, you know, as you're talking, maybe, maybe that was totally the wrong attitude to have about parameters. But then I remember he wrote me something that I could do, but I hated doing just physically <laughs> I hated doing it. and I was like well I don't want to admit that I'm bad at this or can't do this because yeah. I can do it but so there's this this you know maybe 45 second chunk in the piece that I just hate playing mm -hmm. <laughs> and I should have just said I can do that but I'm not good at it and I don't like it you know it's well, flutter it's flutter tongue you know oh, because I, I can't roll my r's and so I have to do it on my throat mm -hmm. and so I just tear the shit out of my throat every time <laughs> I do that um, and I was like, oh, flutter tongue, you know, and I was like, well, I don't want to admit like it's already kind of lame that I can't roll my R's. And this is something that a person like me has to deal with. But it was my piece. And I should have, you know, afterwards, I was like, I should have just said no flutter tongue, please. But he'd already written it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to totally ruin the creative experience for him. No, you didn't go back and like, I mean, it would have been a, it would have been a tough pill to swallow. Um, but I mean, I've given pieces 
to people and they're just like i it's too much of that one thing that i'm not comfortable with and we've made alterations i mean it's just like you know i made the pant legs way too long they can't walk in these (laughs) well i have to take them up you know um and that's that's fine that's just that was um something i should have a measurement i should have double checked yeah, and I think from our perspective, don't uh, don't walk in with you know stiletto heels and say and go all the way. The, I don't know. I can't. I can't maintain that metaphor. That was a good one, but I could have said it from the beginning. I can. I can run this five k in stilettos. It's fine. It's fine. There's no problem. I mean, no, it's not fine. You shouldn't no, be have, uncomfortable. I have a bunion. Right. I have bad arches. I can't do it. But um, I. I know other people have done that too, you know, and, yeah. and walk away with pieces that they're not totally happy with and, and they know it's their fault, you know? So I think like, it's, it's good to it's, hear from a composer, like just, just, I mean, don't apologize for it. There's things you don't think about. I mean, I think that's what's like having a lot of conversations up front in the beginning. Um, and I think it annoys a lot of people that I want. I don't know if it annoys them. I don't, I don't know if they think it's necessary. Like I'll, I like to email numbers and contract so that I have something to go back and say, here, this is what we agreed upon when I write the contract. But um, as far as like the creative process of the piece, I like to have a conversation because you have to be a little bit of a, you you have to, you, you have to bring that out of, of people because some, the performers don't think about that. Like I'll just practice and I'll make it work until you start like investigating, push and push and push. And then they'll say, oh, well, you know, it's not my favorite. And when they get more comfortable, because performers, it's a trust issue too. Like uh, you have to make them feel comfortable that if they tell you a weakness, you're not gonna blab that all over the countryside. Um, And so, um, you know, and it, it usually takes me 30 minutes to an hour before a performer will tell me that they are not comfortable doing something. Um, and most of the time, the first 20 minutes, we're just joking around about, <laughs> you know, just all the things. Um, and then we'll just talk about the things they love to do and what they don't and what their wheelhouse is. And then I'll have to start prodding a little deeper um, because I know the way what I'm going to want to write. Like I'm going to write want to write extended techniques and I need to start prodding like, are you comfortable doing this? Do you want to do that? Do you hate this? Do you love it? Sometimes framing it as do you love doing this or do you hate doing this is better than can you do this or can you not do this? Mm-hmm. When you say can't and can, mm-mm, no performer <laughs> will admit to can't. Right. But if you say if you love it and they're like, I'm not a fan of that. And you're like, okay, no need to write it in. Do you yeah. like, is it okay if I do it like a couple times? And they're like, maybe once. But sometimes, I, but most of the times, uh, I'll get a feel for it. Now I will have to do some edits. Like some performers are trying just for the first time to do more extended techniques. And, and so we're trying to pinpoint what's, what's the ability they can do. But you know, some composers are trying to push the envelope and they just want to see how much they can get away with. And if a performer isn't going to push back, then um, they'll just yeah. see, they'll just see until you crack. And if you're not going to crack, then they're just going to keep pushing, which I've been guilty of too. Especially if it's, especially if it's friends, you know, if I know if I have friends and I've heard enough of them play enough, I'm like, they can do it. They just need to practice a little harder, but I have faith. I have faith. They can do it. They just, you know, they just need to practice, which I thought Elizabeth was doing with those microtones. And then I found out I was just writing that microtone just for my broken leaky flute piccolo and not everybody else's piccolo couldn't do it because it wasn't leaking like mine was. Memories. Memories. So do y'all, have y'all had any, I mean, have, have, 
because you both have interacted with composers and so sometimes i feel like i'm the weird one like are other composers more is it just been like you just say i want a commission piece and they just write you hear nothing until you get a piece sometimes really fascinating yeah. it's it's different it's amazing to me how different it is with mm. each individual composer mm. um i think you were probably the first formal commission that I did so mm. I, I I think a lot of the times my expectation gets shaped by how it worked that. the first time um but you know I've had composers that don't want contracts they just want a written handshake and oh, so I I mean yeah. I I I am I think of the same mindset you are that I would feel better if things were in writing but yeah. if that's their process it hasn't bitten me in the rear end yeah. yet. And if they're comfortable with it, I guess, yeah. who am I to question? That's a lot of trust. I um, wonder if someone would actively say no contract. Because it's happened to me twice as an individual commissioner. Um, one of them, it just seemed like part of their attitude or life philosophy or mm -hmm. like they, I, it was very important to them that people be trustworthy and good and, it it seemed more important to them as a as a personal thing and you know i i knew myself and knew i wasn't going to intentionally take advantage of them and actually in that commission several things ended up changing along the mm -hmm. way so i hope that they were comfortable with the end result without the contract um i had a, another commission where they we talked about having one and it it i think they just needed flexibility because there were a number of things going on in their life and it was in the last two years of my life where there were a number of things going on in my yeah. life so I, I think on both ends we just needed so much flexibility but um, in both situations part of a smaller community where there was some overlap and you know if one of us had done something awful to the other one it would have been really unfortunate but also I think it would have followed us so less danger than maybe in other situations I don't know but I've I've had composers that haven't wanted contracts I had a composer where I really wanted a contract because mm -hmm. I didn't know them very well and mm -hmm. they didn't really it ended up working out fine it was just alarming um if I recall correctly from my my first contract with Nicole Chamberlain there was like a list of extended techniques that I was comfortable with or I was supposed to make a list of things I would prefer not to see um and I think I've had a similar conversation with one maybe two of the composers I've worked with since mm -hmm. but it's it's really fascinating to me how much input some folks have wanted and how truly little others have asked for and they just sort of yeah. slap a score down on your desk and everybody's like well I, I hope that I like this and or I hope that it's you know playable for me as a performer maybe they're maybe they're doing what you do and, and checking my online media of which you know historically there hasn't been very much so well know. then there's different people like um at that first flute music consortium panel that we had and it was Asha okay but she had said that she writes drafts and sends drafts to the performers for feedback and I was just like like that to me is so vulnerable like that is because the way I write it is very ugly until the bitter end and then it starts to clean up from there and like my thoughts are not are just chaos until the end until I start to figure it out and sending drafts to me seems so scary but she was comfortable with that 
that she so she didn't feel like she was getting away from the performer too much before the piece was completed. I mean that that was incredibly generous of vulnerable of her to do. But you do your communication at the outset, and my impression so. was she maybe did less interviewing before the writing had started so maybe huh. that was her touchstone i guess so a different point in the process yeah i mean it makes sense her process to do it that way i mean when i was doing web design like we'd send up mock-up number one and then the client would give us feedback and then we would edit that that mock-up and give it back to them get a little bit more and that was final round so there was a little bit more like to help with the customization and hit the target correctly and i just never felt like doing that for composition because it just never shaped up that way like it did for me for um or maybe I just didn't want to give the commissioner that much control. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It has um, to do with the process. Yeah. You know, the way, the way she writes. Yeah. That, that is something that is more familiar to me is not getting a lot of communication early mm-hmm. on, but then seeing a draft. Yeah. But it just, it probably just, yeah, it depends on how you write and what, mm-hmm. what your drafts look like before you're ready to be done. I have also experienced, I mean, I've had, I've had composers I've commissioned who send a draft and then if anything needs to be tweaked, it, it turns out great. But I, I once had a composer and I don't think this person was trying to be difficult at all, but sent me a draft and, and that person was already pretty sold on the piece when, Mm. when they sent me the draft. And then there was some stuff that was not, it was like playable ish, but physically it wasn't, I wasn't going to be able to nail it every time. I mean, just Mm. just literally physically moving from one kind of sound to another was mm-hmm. like I need precarious a time here yeah or yeah. this isn't a great octave for the kind of playing you want you know something super super high with c sharps and d's and d sharps that was supposed to be lyrical you know um yeah i know i yeah i also just like failed to ask another flutist before showing me the draft but then when i got that draft you know i think the composer had sat on it long enough that it was they they did what they could, but it was difficult to conceive of changing things because it was so stuck in their heads that way. Yeah. It takes me when I get revisions and I've gotten some revisions. Um, man, I have to take like a week to get some emotional detachment from the piece so I can see it from their point of view. Hmm. Yeah, I can imagine or just yeah. like just being able to imagine another way that it could go when you devised that way. Between- yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a hit. I mean, you're you just like, well, I got to give my brain some time to like, not want to hear that because you just yeah. lived with it for so long. And that's all right. you hear. And like anything else sounds kind of wrong. Um, and so I have to like, I mean, I've, I've had some catastrophic ones before I've had someone send it back and say it's not hard enough. And I was like, what, what do you? <laughs> I was like, oh, hard I, mean, I and it was like i was i remember i was driving home to savannah for like christmas or thing i think it was thanksgiving for like a week and i was i remember getting the email and i pulled over when i was like stopped i was stopped so i was uh i pulled up my email on a, like a potty break or something a pit stop and i opened it and i was like oh and so i had to drive like three hours left of the drive like just thinking like what am i gonna do what am i gonna do like like how to make this harder i thought this was like excessively based on previous pieces they wanted it like this other piece and it's not this isn't this is the same level and then drove back and then made it hard and then i think I, it went the other way like was too hard and i think they only played it once never sent me a recording and never mentioned it ever again and then i had played it later and i was like i think they may be onto something um but 
I mean, you know, I just thought their playing was far superior than mine. And so I think I may have overshot. Oh, I might just ask you one more question, Nicole. Okay. Is there anything else that, I mean, talking about this collaborative um, relationship that you, you have with each of your musicians, Nicole, is there anything else that you would love to just get out there in the world that mm. we didn't ask about? Like something that I want to say, like. Tell us how to be better oh, collaborators oh. with you. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I think the communication part is then the honesty is the biggest deal. Um, that's most of my quibbles with people. That's what it's come down to. Like I've had people not invite me to premieres and didn't know that was the thing I would like to be at, even if I live far away. I mean, I can't always come to everything, especially if I have to lowball a commission, like maybe it won't help. Like I can't get there, mm -hmm. you know? Um, does it make sense? Um, it is my favorite part of the composition department uh, composition process is hearing, hearing the performance. That is my favorite part. The rehearsal is always a little scary for me, <laughs> but I would like, <laughs> I would like to be there. And I, and I know a lot of performers are uncomfortable with hearing with, with the composer hearing the rehearsal. That is a very vulnerable part of the process, but like maybe the next to last rehearsal. So you have a chance to be without the composer and digest what the composer's feedback was. Um, certainly not at the first rehearsal because no one wants that. Composer doesn't want to hear it. Performers don't want you there for that. I get it. But like, and, and not at the dress rehearsal, it's too late. <laughs> but right. somewhere where you're comfortable sharing even some of the warts that might come out because the warts might be able to be fixed. Like the composer might be able to find a workaround for that to make it easier. Um, so a rehearsal, even you know, if the composer can't physically be there, maybe send them a little recording that they are not allowed to share with anybody else to make that clear. Um, and uh, send me the programs because I do have to submit those to get performance royalties that you don't typically have to pay unless you're um, freelancing at a venue that doesn't pay them. Um, let me know about performance dates no one i mean i'll people will send me stuff all the time did you know it or i'll i'll get an alert because i do i do search for mm -hmm. myself on youtube and i do search for myself on the internet um to see if somebody's performed something because i found some beautiful performances that no one no one let me know about and i've heard some really awful ones that a conversation about an interpretation conversation would have would have corrected some of that yeah i mean it just boils down to like just uh reaching out i know a lot of composers aren't very accessible they're very busy and they're very i am not that person i don't think yet um I, I mean i might be a little slow especially with recent events i know i am really slow because i have a lot of emails to catch up on but um but yeah i like to know stuff uh and i'm i'm here to i'm here to help you have a successful performance and i i want that very much um the other thing um is people like to rearrange my music for their instrument without my input and that is highly illegal um so please don't do that uh You're doing an arrangement of a piece of yours for another instrument yep oh wow that's bold yeah i've i've had people um change a cello part to a marimba and the cello had like bar talk pits and all these like special bowings and i'm like what that piece must have sounded so redundant. I mean, I don't <laughs> um, and tell you to your face that they did it really proudly. And I'm like, nope, you can't. Nope. Nope. If I had more money, I might, I might sue. Um, 
I, I mean, those are those are things that can't happen um, without a composer's blessing or permission or for hire them to do it themselves, which I like to have a lot of control over my stuff. And instrumentation is a real is a starting point for me for writing. And if you change the instrumentation for me, that changes the whole piece. Uh, not for everybody. I mean, I've heard composers just say, yeah, you can play it on viola. Yeah, that'll work. It's fine. And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, but I think a lot of that's extended techniques and that's the reason why I can't change it as much. Um, but, um, but yeah, those are kind of sticking points for me, you know, as long as you try, I mean, and, and people are going to fail at performances just because they're not, the piece is too hard for them and they're really, really trying as long as the effort is there. I don't, I mean, a, a bad performance is fine, but if you're playing the key signature as correctly as you can and you're you know, maybe it's a little under tempo. I mean, I'd rather it be under tempo and correct than over tempo and a hot mess, um, which seems to be the case more than not. Um, <laughs> but you, you, I don't have to tell y'all, y'all about that with students all the time, I'm sure about yep. rushing. Um, but yeah, students are going to be students and they're just going to mess up. I mean, that's, that's how it is. It's part of learning. But yeah, I just, I just want to know things. I just want to be a part of the the thing so like communication let me know stuff i'll put it on the website you playing i don't care if you're a freshman at who knows where university i'll i'll you know I'll put it on the website i think that's a, that's like the best part that your your stuff's out there and people enjoy it enough to invest their time to like program it like that's that's a they could put anything on their program and they chose to put your piece on the program especially students you only get like once one recital a year maybe yeah. you know and and they chose to write put your piece on it oh my god that's huge or i mean maybe they didn't choose maybe the professor chose so but whatever well yeah that's it that's it i mean i have a i even made a video about it uh, flute specialist wanted me to do something write an article and i was like well i'm actually working on a video called like salty composers and how to avoid them oh yeah i remember yeah. that and oh Okay, so because I know you want to talk about that. I'm, now you're like, one last question, and now here we are. Because I know you wanted to cover this topic a little bit, Nicole Reiner. I get emails every once in a while about somebody wanting to commission me because I am a lady, and that is the sole purpose. <laughs> I've had it happen, and I'm sure I'm not the only uh, group of person, people, that has that happen to. You know, I'm sure I, I've heard it from other other composers of different uh backgrounds say something similar the only reason they were targeted was because of who they were um and not because of what they wrote and right. like i think all anybody wants as an artist is that they get work because their work is deemed worthy um not because i have a uterus which surprise i don't anymore there is that <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think, and, and unfortunately, it, it, it is still necessary to have these festivals and concerts made up of a, a group of people. But as long as that is also infiltrated throughout the season as well, and it's not only isolated to that one program on a season. Um, because I still hear things at concerts because the thing about being an unknown composer is you hear things in the audience all the time. Mm. And so I have this perfect, and it's also the other part of why I like to go to performances because you'll hear people talk about your piece and not know you're the composer. Um, and then you stand up. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, it is the best. Oh, God. <laughs> it is 
the best. Most of the time it's been people that have said lovely things. And then I'm too embarrassed to tell them I'm the composer. <laughs> and I pretend that I don't hear them. But sometimes you'll hear things that are not, um, that aren't great. Um, but then people start applauding, you get a knowledge and then you stand up and you can just feel them like wilting, you know. Um, but anyway, yeah, so if you are going to include someone, a composer, or really anyone based solely on their gender or their background or their ethnicity or their, uh, or any reason, um, just make sure you open with, you know, I've, I've heard your music. I love it. You come highly recommended. I would like to commission you for this piece, by the way one of the instigation one of one of the leading forces of me trying to commission you is i i want to develop this program for this reason i mean just be honest <laughs> uh, most composers will be game for it but there's some that they just they're like no it's only it's just because of my music and that's it or nothing and don't pigeonhole me to write about being a mother please mm, yeah because it's not a thing i do <laughs> especially not anymore <laughs> um you know there's no ovaries there's no there's no uterus so please please stop making my you know whole being being about making children um or mothering other children uh so those those kind of things kind of burn my backside a little bit and things i'd like people to avoid in the future you know that's amazing okay. yeah it yeah. is helpful and then the last bit just absolutely amazing to me mm. you're getting that kind of communication yeah, and it's shocking from the people that oh, give it to you, too, because I've had people I've, that have come to me for that information. I didn't know them, but they came like a friend had recommended that they contact me about writing it. And then I contact that friend and I'd be like, oh, this person wrote this email and that person is like, I'm sorry, what did they say? <laughs> like the disbelief. Well, that's good. That's like, good. like, and then, then there's like, they're trying really hard. Please don't take a personal seat. Let's see if we can kind of work through this one section because it was like, especially one commission I almost didn't do for that sole reason. Like wow. I almost dropped it. Um, and I said, I, I told my friend, I said, if this person introduces me as a willing, uh, you know, as the, uh, as the female composer, a woman composer, I'm going to say, thank you, mill conductor. I'm just going to do it. I mean, and just let it be how ridiculous that sounds. But my response was, thank you. I'm so glad you enjoy my work enough to include me. So that was my passive aggressive way of saying next time lead with that. I don't know if that registered. I get the feeling that that wasn't something that would come across, but I said it anyway. One can only hope. <laughs> no, and it turned out to be a lovely collaboration. Like oh, good. he turned out to be a lovely person, just took some missteps and uh hopefully next time that will be an issue. Trying to educate. But it's but you know it's gross sometimes. I think it's wonderfully generous of you, though. I really appreciate it. I appreciate being able. I mean, like, I, I know you socially also, but I think I think it's clear after five minutes that you are, you know, a straight shooter and someone <laughs> that I can ask honest questions of and you will give me honest, respectful answers that will really benefit me. And I, I really appreciate that. Oh, that's like the best compliment. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Music Crush. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can also support the podcast, read show notes, and learn more about FNMC by visiting www.flutenewmusicconsortium.com. <laughs>